our musicians for all of their work that they put into uh, helping us to worship the Lord through song. If you were coming today for a pastor's new members class that was supposed to meet this morning, uh, we're going to postpone that till September 13th and the 20th. Uh, September 13th and the 20th will be pastor's new members class. So if you're interested in joining the church or if you just would like to find out more about our church, uh, it will meet right back in this classroom, Lord willing, uh, September 13th and 20th. Also, if you're visiting with us this morning, again, let me say thank you very much for for being with us. There should be a card uh, that's in the pew in front of you. Uh, It's got a QR code on it. You can take your smartphone, scan the QR code, tap the little button that says open it up, and that will just give you a a couple of questions that we would love to have you answer, and then we can reach out to you this week. Uh, And again, thank you uh, for being with us this morning. Did you ever stop to think about some of the blessings that we have as being a Christian. We just sang just a minute ago, blessed be your name. Are we going to bless God only when things are good, or are we going to kind of turn away from God if things aren't so good? But do you ever think about some of those blessings we have? I mean, just basic things that God has in His mercy and grace given to us. Number one would be salvation. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if He's taken your sins away, that is an unparalleled blessing. We no longer have to fear sin and death. We have heaven to look forward to. What an unbelievable blessing. The fact that as a Christian, we actually belong to God, that we are His child with all the rights and privileges that go along with being a child of God. That's incredible. That's a wonderful blessing that God bestows upon us. We also have the privilege of living by faith. Did you ever talk to somebody who's going through a difficult time and that person doesn't know Christ? What do you say? What do you say at the death of a loved one? when you're dealing with someone who doesn't have that hope of Christ, that knowledge that they will spend eternity in heaven. There's just very little. But as a Christian, we can live by faith. We know that when we die where we will go. We can walk each step of life's journey by faith, trusting because we know God's got this. We know that He is in control of every step of our journey. We're also guarded by God's power. Just because we're saved, just because we're children of God doesn't mean we're not going to face onslaughts of Satan. We're still living in the world. We are still going to face the difficulties, the problems, the struggles, the stresses, sicknesses that come with the world. And yet, we have God's power. We have His strength that, that, that surrounds us, that keeps us protected, that we can rely on when everything else in the world goes haywire. He's the one that can keep us steady. And we could go on and on and list blessing after blessing that, that we have because of, of, of our salvation, but we also 
because of those blessings, we have some responsibilities. When we've been adopted into the family of God at salvation, that point of justification, we get these privileges, we get these rights, but we also have some responsibilities. It was one of those, those sayings that your parents say, well, you know, you come home and you say, well, everybody else is doing that. Well, is their last name Jones? Well, no. Well, then there are certain responsibilities, there are certain things, there are certain house rules that we have, and, and there are certain things that, that God in His Word, some responsibilities that God places on us because we are part of His family. There are some duties that he gives us. Paul in his writing, when he is, he is talking uh, to one of, one of the men in, in, uh, that, that was serving God, he says to them, he says, fulfill the ministry that you received of the Lord. God had given him this ministry, and Paul says, fulfill that ministry. God has called us to serve. We are to be people of service. We are to be servants. God has given you a ministry. You may not know what it is yet. You may not have quite found that niche where God has called you. But God has given you a ministry. And He's going to equip you to fulfill that ministry. And it's, but it's our job to do that ministry, to find what that ministry is, to find where God is directing us and fulfill that ministry. We've been called by God to serve. We've been saved to serve. Hebrews 9, 14, the writer tells us this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We are saved to serve. Hebrews 12, the writer continues on, verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Part of our responsibilities is this attitude of service. This servitude or servanthood is a significant part of Scripture, and it's a significant part of what it means to be a Christian. We're not saved just to sit on the sidelines and watch others do the work of the ministry. We're all supposed to serve. Sometimes it's in a, in a place that is public. Sometimes it's in a place that, that others can see that service. Oftentimes it's not. It's in a place where Nobody sees it except for God, or very few see it except for God. But it's that place of service that God has called us to, and we need to do it. Well, first of all, it kind of goes against the, the, the thought process, but being a servant is great. It really is. You will start looking through the Scriptures. You don't have to get very far into the Bible before you see God referring to people as servants, before God lifting them up because they're His servants. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are called the servants of God. In fact, 
when Moses comes along, and Moses is up on the mountain talking to God, and the people disobey what they just heard God speak about the Ten Commandments. They make this golden calf, and they start to worship it, and Moses comes down. He destroys the tablets. He's pleading with God. God says, I'm going to destroy the people and start all over again. And Moses says to God, but what about your promise to your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? You can't, God, because they were your servants and you promised them. Moses himself is called a servant. When he talks about, he says, I am thy servant. You've got someone like Joshua who comes to the end of his life who dedicated his life to being a servant. If you want to study the, the, um, the, the principles of being a servant, study Joshua under Moses and look at how he was a servant and, and how he served Moses faithfully from day one when we see him going in to spy out the land to going with Moses and sitting up on that mountain. While Moses talked with God for 40 days, where was Joshua? Halfway up the mountain all by himself but he was there faithfully serving. At the end of Joshua's life, we come to to Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, and it says, And it came to pass after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Can you imagine? That was what God basically put on his tombstone. Joshua, the servant of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great if that could be said about us? Wouldn't that be awesome if we were known as the servant of the Lord? If when we die, that could be said of us, not just by our fellow people, but by God himself, as he did here with Joshua. We see it with Caleb in Numbers. We see it with Job, chapter 1, when, Job is, when, when God is talking to Satan, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? Who, a man who wanted to please God, who wanted to do what was right and serve God to the best of his abilities. Isaiah calls himself the servant. Often throughout the prophets, Jeremiah, we see them calling themselves servants, God calling them servants. It's not just limited to the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. Many of the the writers of of the epistles, James in James chapter 1, Paul in Romans and Philippians, Peter in 2 Peter, Jude in, in, in the book that he wrote, John in Revelation, all refer to themselves as servants. This was not something that was looked down upon. This was not something that was shunned. This was something that they were saying, I am a servant of the Lord. Now, again, you come into the New Testament, that idea of slavery and being a servant was, was, was very well known because of the, the, the nation of Rome that was, was lording over everybody. And so being a slave or being a servant was oftentimes looked down upon. But here these, these, these writers of, of, the, of the Scriptures are saying, I am proud to be a servant. To be a person who claims to serve the living God. Not only do we see many of these men proclaiming the greatness of service, but we see it in Christ Himself. If you read Isaiah, 
52 and 53. It talks about when Christ comes to earth, it's, it's, it's foretelling his, his coming as a, as a man to walk on the earth, and it talks about his death. And it talks about him, him coming as this, this, this lowly person that was going to be crucified, showing him as a servant, as this slave, this person who was coming to give his life so that we might have life. Matthew chapter 28, the Scriptures tell us, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's why Christ came, to serve, to give His life for us. Why should we then feel that we don't want to be a servant? Why should we then feel that it's beneath us to serve? As many times uh, we, we, we do or make excuses for why we can't serve. Even later on in the life of, of Christ in, in John chapter 13, we see other than His going to the cross, probably the greatest example of Christ being a servant when He washes the disciples' feet. Here they were coming to gather. This was the job typically of the lowest of the servants or slaves in the household. And here are all these disciples getting together, and not one of them did it. Apparently there were no servants there at that time, and not one of them took it upon themselves the responsibility to lower themselves to wash everybody else's feet. But Christ did. And, 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 and He humbled Himself and did something that most of us would view as disgusting. And yet he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. Again, showing his servanthood, showing his humility, and giving us a, a, a prime example of how we need to live our lives, how we need to be looking for places to serve. The disciples weren't looking for a place to serve at that point. Any one of them could have done the same thing. But Christ is the one that came along and did it. So we see this, 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 this servant is, being a servant is great. It's not something that is just, oh, you know, I'm a servant. It needs to be something that is, that is proclaimed. Like, like we mentioned, these, these writers that are, that, are, that are talking about their service to Christ. Christ himself being this servant. What an honor if God were to be able to look at us as His servants, as He did some of these great men here in the Scriptures, including His own Son. But if we're going to be a servant, there are some, some, some things we need to keep in mind. There are some concepts that have to be in our lives. There are some things that we're probably going to have to work on. It's not just like, boom, I'm going to be a servant and we serve. We're going to look at a couple of them today. First of all, being a servant or if we're going to serve, it takes obedience. You can't be a servant if you continue to disobey. Again, the first century... This would have been, the, the, the slave-master relationship would have been very prevalent. They would have known what, what, what was required of a slave or a servant. And a lot of Jesus' parables talk about uh, different people who are servants or different men who had servants. 
And so when you, when you, when you, when you go to, to, to the Scriptures and you look at this, this slave-master relationship, there are some things about it that kind of stand out. First of all, the slave doesn't know anything but the master's word. That's his law. Whatever he was told, that is what he had to follow. He also had no rights of his own. He couldn't assert his rights because he didn't have any. We live in a society today where, where, where everybody is asserting their own rights. Well, I have the right to do this. Well, this is my right. Well, these are, this, is, this is something that I can do because I have the right to do it and you can't stop me. We don't find that in Scripture. So the servant, the slave, had no rights of his own. He was the absolute possession of his master. He was owned by the person who was telling him what to do, and he was bound by obedience. Now, in today's society, we don't have the, the, the master-slave relationship, but we do have the employee-employer relationship, and there are some correlations there. When you're working for somebody, you typically have to follow what they say. If your boss tells you to do something, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or against the Scriptures, we're supposed to do it. So if, if we're an employee and we fail to do what our boss is telling us to do repeatedly, you're probably not going to be employed there for very long. Because even in the world, an employee is expected to obey, is expected to do what is designated for them to do. Although as an employee, we, we may not be the possession of our master, we may not have any rights of our own, we are still bound by obedience. And so when we kind of take this and, and then put it into our, our, our Christian walk, when we accept Christ as, as Savior, we become His child, we become part of His family, and that then should be characterized by obedience. If we love Him, we will keep His commandments. If we're part of His family, we will do the things that he's asking us to do. Following the analogy of the servant, we are willingly telling others that we are going to be a servant of the Lord. We had a baptism last week where, where several got baptized, and that is a, an, an open statement to everybody saying, I want to follow the Lord. I want to do what God has asked me to do. I want to obey. So if we are going to be a servant it has to be characterized by obedience. And so my question is, does obedience characterize your life? Are you known as someone who is obedient? We have um, Paul talking to us in, in 1 Corinthians. He said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. That's a command that we are to obey. We are to glorify God with our entire being. The Gospels tell us we're supposed to come to the Lord on His terms, not ours. Again, society today seems to dictate, well, this is what I can do. Well, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. We can all get there by doing our own thing, and we all have to be accepted. And God says in, in Luke, why do you call me Lord and don't do 
what I ask you to do. You see, our lives as Christians should be characterized by obedience. We should be studying the Scripture. We should be finding out what it is that God wants us to do. When I was growing up, I often lived by the philosophy, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Because my dad was a pastor, he was a Christian, he had to forgive me. He didn't have to give me permission. Probably shouldn't say that since he's sitting in here. But seven years has passed, so the statute of limitations is over. And sometimes we live that way in our Christian lives. Well, I can just do this and God will forgive me. Well, if I don't follow what God wants, it's okay. He'll forgive me. And and, and Paul says, no, that's not how we live our lives. Our lives should be characterized by obedience. Kind of going off of that, we should also be characterized by humility. The Bible has a lot to say about pride and arrogance, how we conduct ourselves. Proverbs tells us six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination, a proud look. Walking around thinking that we deserve everything. Most of us don't like arrogant people. Most of us shy away from people who are arrogant because they rub us the wrong way, because they're not going to be helpful typically. And yet, many times when it comes to Christianity, we think we've got it. We think we can handle it. We think, well, I don't need to serve. I don't, because I've got this. Christ has obviously a lot to say about that. We cannot reach that point of obedience if we first don't humble ourselves. It's hard to be obedient if you're not humble. Because if you're arrogant, you don't have to obey. If you're arrogant, it's hard to submit yourself to that authority because you know better than that person. And so we have to be obedient, but we also have to be humble. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10 says, Paul's writing, For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In 1 Timothy, he writes, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Did you notice the progression? When Paul's first writing there in Corinthians, he says, I am the least of the apostles. That's still pretty impressive. I mean, that's still an apostle. I mean, any one of us would would aspire to that. Then a few years later, he's writing, and he says, in Ephesians, he says, I am the least of the saints. He's saying, of all the people that are saved, I'm the worst one. And then, a few short years later, 
he writes there in 1 Timothy, he says, I am the least, excuse me, uh, verse, in 1 Timothy, he says, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So he starts out saying, I'm the worst of the apostles. I'm the worst of the saints. There's no, I'm the worst person in the history of the world. As he got closer to Christ, his view of himself radically changed. That humility shows forth. When you grow closer to Christ, the more you study the Scriptures, the more you immerse yourself in God and, and the church, the greater you see God, the worse you see yourself. And when, we, when we, we shine the light of God's Word into our lives and we grow closer to Him, it, make, it makes us look worse and worse. And we have to be humble as we go through this, this life. Hopefully that dis- humility describes us. Uh, in Luke chapter 17, we see this story. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once, recline at the table? But will he rather not say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he, think the servant, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. If all we do is our duty and nothing more, are we really serving? Scriptures talk about the servant that comes in, and the master's not going to say, oh, come sit at my table, join me. He's going to say, feed me first, then you can eat, because that's your duty. That's your responsibility. As Christians, we have responsibilities and duties. It's our job to search the Scriptures and find what those are, to listen in church and find out what those are and do them. And yet then again, what the Scripture is saying is at the end of that, we sometimes look at ourselves and we say, I am unworthy. The closer we grow to God, the more unworthy we feel. And the more we serve, the more we want to serve. And it shouldn't be, I'm doing this because it's my duty. I'm doing this because I'm required to do this. It should be, I'm doing this because I want to to do this. Oh, I'm not just going to do what's asked. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to do more than what's asked because I want to please him who is over me, which is the Lord. So we should have this, this idea of humility. It's also sometimes easy to brag. It's easy to get caught up in what we've accomplished to get caught up in, in, in what we've done and not to ascribe that glory to the Lord. It's also sometimes easy to murmur and complain. Those things that God puts on us, those things that, that, we're, that, that we have to go through or, or those, those areas where we serve, sometimes it, it, it can, it, it, it's just easy to complain. But again, when we do, it shows our lack of humility, our lack of willingness to serve God. So we have obedience, we have humility, we also have loyalty. If we're going to be a servant of God, it demands loyalty. We became servants freely. We 
accepted God's gift of salvation and we became his servant freely, we should not have been tricked into it. We shouldn't have been bribed into it. When you accepted God's gift of salvation, it was a free gift that you accepted freely. And so as a result, then we should be loyal to him. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 Paul writes for I am now seeing for I am now seeing the approval of man excuse me for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ who are we loyal to it's hard to have divided loyalties if you pay attention to sports at all, there are some, some fairly serious sports rivalries. You can't be a Penn State fan and like Ohio State. You can't be a Red Sox fan and like people that cheer for the Yankees. It doesn't work real well. There are, there is, there's a, a number of those throughout sports, and, and, and in sports people show their loyalties and they wear the team colors, and they, 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 they are proud of that team. And yet when it comes to Christ, sometimes we feel we can have these divided loyalties. Oh, I, I serve Christ. I'm, I'm on his team. But I'm going to go fellowship with all of these over here. I'm going to go participate in all these things that the other side, the world, is doing. And our loyalty then becomes divided. And we're no longer demonstrating that loyalty just to Christ. The Galatians, we just read Paul saying, am I trying to please God or am I trying to please man? It's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Everything we do, every single day, are we trying to please God or are we trying to please man? When we get up and serve, when we get up and go, when we do anything, is it for God or is it for man? If it's for man, it's pointless. If it's for God, it needs to be done in obedience and humility. So we have this idea then of loyalty. As we move through the scriptures, we see this idea of obedience, this idea of humility, this idea of loyalty over and over and over again. But quickly, what are some, some things that could stop us from being a servant? We've touched on a couple of these as we've gone through this. But what are some things that could stop us from being a servant of God? Well, obviously, the first one is being a servant to somebody else. Matthew tells us, uh, the Scripture tells us in, in, in Matthew that we cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So sometimes we get ourselves in this position because we're trying to serve two different masters. And again, that obviously goes against the loyalty that we just talked about. But this can be a hindrance if we're being drawn in different directions, if we're being pulled in different directions and we don't know where we're trying to focus on, we're trying to make more people, too many, you can't please everybody. And sometimes we try to do that in the way we live our lives. And instead of focusing on pleasing the Lord, instead of focusing on what will please my Savior, 
We try to please people. We try to please ourselves. And we have this, this divided loyalty where we're serving the wrong master. Sometimes a hindrance can be we place limitations on our service. We limit how or when or where we will serve. God, I'm going to serve you, but don't ask me to teach. God, I'm going to serve you, but I don't want to do this. Moses is a prime example. When God's speaking to Moses in the burning bush, God says, Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. Moses says, but I don't speak real well. And God says, Moses, I can do this. You can do this. I, I can do this through you. I created you. And Moses says, well, God, I, I just don't really think that's a good thing. And Moses tried to set limitations on how God could use him. Well, God, I can't do that because I, I don't talk well. Sometimes we limit on who we will serve. God, I will serve. I will go. But Lord, don't call me to go talk to these people. Lord, don't put me in this position where I'm going to have to do this because I don't want to go there. An example of that is Jonah. God goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh and you're going to preach to Nineveh and those people are going to get saved. And Jonah says, no, I'm not. God, do you know what they said? Do you know what the, the prophets, have, you've already said it to the prophets, they're going to come down and destroy Israel. I don't want that happening. I'm not going to them because, God, if I go to them and preach, I know you're merciful, and I know you will have mercy on them, and they'll get saved, and they'll repent, and, 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 and you're not going to destroy them. And then they'll come down and attack Israel. And he tried to put limitations on who he would go and serve. And instead, he jumped on a boat going the exact opposite direction, and God had to really work some things out to get Jonah to go where he was supposed to go. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't put limits on where you will serve God. If you're open and willing to serve God, don't put limits on it. Because we don't want to have to go through some of the things that Jonah went through to get him to turn around and serve God. Sometimes we serve the wrong person, the wrong master. Sometimes we limit our service. But sometimes we just have the wrong attitudes. And we touched on some of these a little bit um, a while ago. Uh, laziness can keep us from serving. We just don't want to get up early on a Sunday morning. We just don't want to come back on Sunday night for choir. We just don't want to serve because we like our own personal time. We're getting a little lazy in certain things or we're just sluggish. Matthew chapter 25 says, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. He's talking to the, 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 the servants that he gave the talents to. And he gave the, the, five, the one and the five and the three, and, and, and they multiplied him and the one that went and buried it in the ground. He says, You're wicked. You knew that, that, that I, I, I gathered where I didn't plant any seed. You should have done something with it. And God has given us talents and abilities. Every single one of us has talents and abilities to serve God. If we've accepted Him as our Savior, He has given us those to serve Him. What are we doing with them? Are we burying in them in the ground? Or are we seeking to serve Him with those abilities that He has given to us? Sometimes it can be an attitude of ingratitude. We don't serve because we're not thankful. 
We fail to, to recall those things that God has done to us. We started this morning talking about just some of the basic blessings God has given us that should motivate us to serve. And every single one of us could list page after page after page of blessings that God has given us. But sometimes our ingratitude trumps all of those blessings. We forget all those things God has given to us. And we focus maybe on things we don't have, things we don't see, and we become ungrateful. And we, we, our service is hindered because of ingratitude. We also talked about pride, self-centeredness. Elijah, filled with self-pity, we see others that, that seek praise and recognition. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ talks about that in chapter 6. Be careful of doing your good works to be seen of other people. It's not why we should be doing them. Humility, unselfishness, basic requirements for serving the Lord. Acts chapter 20. Serve the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Uh, it's talking about Paul there saying this is why he served the Lord no matter what. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each look not on our own interests, but on the interests of others. A few minutes ago we sang the song, or we, we listened to the, the, the worship team sing the song, Love Ran Red. There in the chorus it says, I owe all to you. I hope that's our attitude. I hope that as we go today, maybe that chorus can, can play through your mind. You can Google the song and look it up. Listen to that. I owe all to you. If we truly owe all to God, we will serve Him. If we truly owe, owe all to God, we will obey Him. We will have humility. We will be loyal because we truly owe Him everything. And it's my prayer that, that as each individual, as each of us, we can come to that realization and we can be servants for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for our time this morning. Lord, we thank You for just the privilege of, of looking at Your Word. Lord, we pray that it will just wash over us, change us, allow us to be different because we sat under your word this morning and listened to your scriptures. Again, we thank you for our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a, a couple of reminders. Uh, don't forget that uh, tonight we will be meeting at 6 p.m. right here in the auditorium for some songs and uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, challenge from God's word. And then again, if you were interested in pastor's new members class, that's going to be starting September 13th and the 20th. Again, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Have a wonderful rest of your day.